It is the 13th episode of the Scoreboard Podcast, and uh, it is a very special episode. The if we are doing season film or season movies, it will probably be the end of the first season. So we've come a long way, and uh, we are doing this in grand style. We are doing the first uh, physical episode. We've been doing virtual episodes since, but it's the first physical episode. My name is Ola Olua, and uh, Masha is right beside me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually quite interesting because I think we started in August. Yeah, and yeah. ever since all of the episodes have been virtual, and you know, different time zones, different distances, different locations, and we've still been giving you premium content. So you can only imagine how exciting this particular episode is going to be. And uh, the energy we bring to the table too, it's definitely going to be very, very different. Let's dive into it straight away. We've over time heard about managers or fans telling managers that, oh, that job is too small for him, especially for managers who have really achieved at the top level and trying to take over at clubs you would literally refer to as imagine clubs, talk of Tottenham most especially, in recent times, they've hired two top managers. Not like Tottenham are not top-top, but at the same time too, you can still put them in that circle of imagined clubs. I'm talking about Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. Jose Mourinho was the manager. I couldn't do anything. And Antonio Conte is in the saddle right now. Just midweek, he said, is a magician that they are not the top club they thought they were. And saying if it would change anything, it would take a long time. Now, before we even go uh, to talk about Tottenham's problem, let's look at what exactly or what we could call a top club and maybe top coaches going to the so-called small teams and people just assume that their career is over and that they cannot do something at the top level again let's also reference sprint and rogers in this conversation when he went to celtic yeah the funny thing about most of those managers is that the managers come in with a pedigree that is often bigger than those clubs so when they start to manage those clubs the first question is is this guy not too big for this club? Because they know the antecedent of that manager. They know that this manager loves to spend money. The kind of players this manager would want to get are they going to be willing to play for a small quote-unquote team now, like, say, a sports. Okay, f- first of is Tottenham a small team? When you compare it to the <laughs> clubs Antonio Conte has managed before, Tottenham are definitely a small club. So whether we like it or not, it's, it's just like... City at the start of their reign, yeah. you know, you cannot compare City to likes of United at the time, likes of Chelsea at the time, mm-hmm. likes of Arsenal at the time, and you know, Liverpool at the start of Jurgen Klopp's reign, they could not be compared to City or to Chelsea, who were like the top dogs uh, in in England but at, the time. To, at the time. At the start of Jurgen Klopp's reign, they used to be a big side, or they were even they, they had they side. had the history. It's, it's just like you saying United at the start of Rangnick's reign right now, they are not a top club. They have the history, but right now the performances are not speaking of them. I mean, if you top, if you call top three sides in England right now, you'd call Liverpool, you call City, you call Chelsea. So whether we like it or not, right now United are not really at that level. They have the history, just like Liverpool had a history with Jurgen Klopp when he was coming in. But then the, the level the club were, and for sports it's even worse because there is literally zero history when you compare it with what. Uh, Conte has done before and I mean he's been at Juventus he's been at Chelsea he's been at Inter and these are clubs that have won Champions League trophies these are clubs that have really really dominated it's coming uh, the, to, the footballing. To, to, to the club I mean for Conte it's coming to the club as a Serie A champion you understand so it's it's really really funny when 
Antonio Conte chose the, the sports job and I feel like the reason why he chose the sports job was because he felt United were not going to sack Ole and United also were looking at Conte and saying mm, is he exactly the kind of manager we want right now and then they ended up sacking Ole and if they had been a lot more fast or if they had been a lot sharper with the sack of Ole maybe Antonio Conte would have been United manager now and they would say okay United and Conte two big sides two big, uh, a big side a big manager you know, going hand in hand mm-hmm. so for Conte even before he got appointed as Spurs there was a talk of this guy is too big for the job and that's why he was able to tell them I'm only going to be here for 18 months and after 18 months you can see what it looks like I mean look at Jose Mourinho's time as, as Spurs uh, he got in the whole talk was like can Jose Mourinho be that man to take Spurs to the level that even the level they used to be under Mauricio Pochettino and the answer has very, very clearly been no, he could not. Because the players that Pochettino had were groomed with him. So they all grew together. It was not like this easy success kind of thing. They all grew together. They, he raised all of them together. And then when they were dominating sides, I mean, there were talks for like two, three seasons that sports could really go for the Premier League title. They could really go uh, have, have a deep runs. I mean, they got the Champions League final in 2019. So it's not like sports on a Pochettino were these also runs. Yeah, they were also runs, but then... They were high-level also runs. But under Mourinho, they changed because the competition in the league became tougher. Yeah. City was there. Liverpool were there. United. United were there. And Chelsea were there. Leicester joined the mix. So, I mean, it it, it now became just too much. And the style of Jose Mourinho, especially at at Spurs, the first three, four months of last season, it was looking like, yeah, they could really do something. And by December, they just hit a wall. Everything literally crashed. And then this season came into it. They appointed Nuno, another progressive manager. And I think the mistake they made with Nuno was that they made Nuno a, a deer in the headlights. They didn't give him the kind of power he wanted. They didn't give him the free will. And then the whole uh, hurricane issue hanging over them now, like a sort of Damocles. If, if you can't give Nuno the power he wanted, is it Conte you'd be willing to give the power? Because I, I feel they would have the same issue with Antonio Conte too. Yeah, I mean, January is upon us and we'll see what Conte wants and we'll see how Levy was. There are a lot of talks about how Levy has told Conte that he has 100 million to spend in January <laughs> and that 100 million exactly. They, they, they released their financial statements just recently and they recorded the loss. I mean, so where exactly is the 100 million going to be coming from? Is it from Joe Louis' pockets? So there, there are several things about managers and that's why I feel like when Nuno went to Spurs from Wolves, it was seen as more of a, a leap. Because despite the fact that, yeah, Spurs are not as good, uh, Wolves, or last season, let's say Spurs and Wolves were almost like on the same same level, but there's still this thing that Spurs are bigger than Wolves, the same way the top sides in England are bigger than Spurs. So it was like, okay, Nuno is taking a step up. We've seen what he has been able to do with two, three years at at the Molino. Let's see what he can do with Spurs, and let's see how he can, you know, become another porch you know just mm. say we porch moved from Southampton yeah. to Spurs yeah. and they really galvanized the squad and they really took them, took them to the, next, to the level. next level yeah. so let, let's see if even if they don't get to break that glass ceiling and become perennial champions let's see if they can at least take us back to where we were on that porch challenging for the top four every you know, other all, season all of those things and yeah. it, it was just so unfortunate that everything happened because I mean they started the season really really well three one nil victories you know nine points no goals considered three goals scored and at that time Hurricane was not even scoring even up to now yeah, yeah. Hurricane is not even really he's not really been in form at all so uh, for Nuno everything happened and very incidentally nobody was saying that is Nuno too big for the sports job 
I mean, because you knew where Nuno was coming from. Yeah. We all knew Nuno yeah, was. Yeah, Nuno was not too big. It was exactly. Nuno stepping into a very big, a shoe. big shoe. And at the at the same time, when you look at when you look at it from the angle of a lot of managers rejecting Tottenham already before they appointed Nuno. I mean, when they appointed Nuno, it was the headline reading, finally, Spurs have a coach. coach yeah. You understand? Fonsenka, a lot of guys, even Conte. Conte himself, yeah. Yeah, turned, turned them, them down. down then. So I would even put it down to Conte being desperate to want Exactly. To get back so to that, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. It is not really about the club per se. It is about the manager who is coming in. So the manager who was coming in at the time was Nuno. Nuno was seen as, oh, you're actually going to a big club. And for Conte, who is going to the same club, is seen as, oh, he's going to a small club. Yeah. So it's about the manager coming in to manage uh, that particular club. And for Conte, I don't understand the desperation, trust me, because very different from but now when, when you look at when, if you have to follow this analogy no manager will go to a team like Barcelona and they will say he's going to a small club no manager will go to a team like Manchester United and you say Definitely. the manager is going to a small club some clubs are big by default but some yeah, clubs some clubs are they are, they are lukewarm, you know. They are neither, they are neither here nor there, you know. So that that's also another thing, which you know, if if a manager is leaving a championship side now for a bottom tier Premier League side, he's seen as he's taking the step up. Let's see what yeah. he can do in the big lights of the Premier League. Yeah. You understand? So there are some clubs that, like Frank Lampard, did. Yeah, you know, moving from Derby County, from Derby to, County Chelsea. to Chelsea. You know, taking that really big step up. So for a club like United, of course, United are a big club. By so default. the only exactly <laughs> so so the only thing that can happen is that either the manager is big enough for the club or he is not big enough for the club. So a manager like Conte is a big manager. So it's either the club is big enough for him or he's bigger than the club. So there are people who are just at the top of that pyramid that you have to fit to them. So they don't really have to be the ones to do the fitting. Yeah. So a club like United, a club like Real Madrid, a club like Barcelona, a club like Bayern Munich, they are the big clubs. So if a manager like uh. No matter the manager coming, there would still be that level of doubt. Is he the one? To if a manager the... like Brendan Rogers is going to a club like Real Madrid, the first question is: Is Rogers big enough yeah. for Real Madrid? But again, you look at what he did with Liverpool. I mean, that, the, the, one of the reasons why people still think Brendan Rogers failed at uh, Liverpool was because after Suarez left, you know, managing everything without having that really superstar player, yeah. it took its toll on him. I mean, look at Mauricio Pochettino. But you know, has actually done a lot of good work at Spurs, and then he's moving to PSG, and everything has been happening. I mean, up until the last game against City, the question is: Is PSG not too big for Pochettino? I mean, are yeah, the players yeah, he has yeah. not too big Managing for Pochettino? You understand? So, and even Pochettino thing. himself looks so lost. Looks like someone that, if given the chance, is ready to leave almost immediately. You know, so it's it's the it's the thing about some clubs, it's the thing about some managers, and that's also the disadvantage of a manager who is still running the ropes. And doesn't have that force of personality. Because if you look at when Jose Mourinho was at Porto, even the fact that he was managing Porto, who were this quote-unquote relatively small side, he had that force of personality that, I know what I'm doing. You but was not a big me, manager then. You cannot tell me what... The thing about Mourinho was that he was he not... He grew with he the was roles not, he was taking. He was, not, he was not a big manager by name, but Mourinho has always been mouthy. So he was making statements. You know, you remember that that famous run when Porto scored that late goal at yeah, Old Trafford and yeah. he ran the length of the yeah, pitch yeah. and he was telling them like, yeah, look at me, yeah, like I'm Let's the one, I'm the one, you understand? <laughs> so, 
it's it's difficult for you to find that in modern day football because you don't want to you don't want to take that leap and then like you, you fuck it up. You understand? So that's the thing with with Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho was so sure. I mean, we all remember that famous press conference at Chelsea's yeah. very first press conference. And they're asking one. him so much so much questions like. No, 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 no. I am European champion. I am yeah. not one of the bottle, you know? Yeah. I am the special one. Yeah. So that's the thing. So Mourinho was so confident in his abilities that he could really take on the world. He, he was confident that there is nothing you are going to bring forth that I will not handle. Because he was so. It's just like when Pepe Aldeira also took over at Barcelona, and then there were so many questions about how exactly is he going to handle the Eagles. And the first thing he did was. Literally chase all of the egos away. Yeah. Because whenever they tell them, look, I'm yeah. the man in town. And I'm the, I'm I, I, the I think Villas Boas did something like that too. With Chelsea. With Chelsea, yeah. But then the mistake he made was that the Chelsea players that you know when you when you want to to stage a coup, be sure that you have the big guns alongside you. And yeah. if you want to eliminate the big guns, be sure that those that are coming up behind, they are strong enough to take up the rules of those big guns. And that's the mistake that Avila's boss made. You know, he wanted to usurp all of the big guys. I mean, he yeah, was resting Drogba, he was resting uh, Terry, resting Lampard. I mean, you don't do that at Chelsea. I mean, these are the guys who built, who built the, the club at which you're So, it was the same thing Rafael Benitez tried to do with Real Madrid when he got in. And then uh, he was speaking with Gareth Bale and said, yeah, he wants to make Gareth build the focal point of Real Madrid. Like a team has Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> and you want to use Gareth, want to use Gareth Bale as, as the focal point, you know. And then he was telling Ronaldo, "Oh, this is how you take a free So, would you would you put it down to inferiority complex on the part of these so-called small managers who the clubs are perceived as being bigger than? Yeah, the thing. Yeah, you could say you could. We could use inferiority complex. I, th- I think that works. And another thing about it is that these managers. They don't have the force of personality themselves. Because trust me, if it was Jose Mourinho or Zidane or, or Guardiola that was managing PSG, if he tells you to do something, you better do it. Yeah. So because they know because the players know that these managers have the force of personality. For a Pochettino, he doesn't have that. Because he still sees himself like, I'm actually managing Paris Saint Germain. You know, I'm managing no. I'm managing, I'm managing these Neymar, players. Messi, you understand? Mbappe. Di Maria, Mbappe. And how, how do I fit all of them in? How do I tell them? And he wants to This is what you do. You understand? So it can be very, very difficult, especially when your style of play is not the most amenable for superstars. I mean, do you know how difficult it is to tell Lionel Messi to run 10 kilometers per game and you're, <laughs> if he's not tracking back your. I mean, look at the game against between PSG and City, where there was this very, very large gap and then Neymar. Messi and Mbappe were just yeah. all out in front, you know, just walking, yeah. just ambling around. And then there was this huge gap that had about seven or six Manchester City players and then the midfield and defence of Paris Saint-Germain. So the midfield and defence was very, very close by, I think it was like five, ten metres between yeah. them. Yeah. And then the attack and midfield are like 40 oh. metres, you know. So there was this very, very large gap. And then but you know, just standing there, and it's it very, very suave. Shout, you know, very just calm guy, and you're like, baby boy. This is not important. <laughs> you know, this is not important. You know, I knew I thought now who be screaming, track back. You know, so it's it's very very difficult, especially for managers who, this is their first big job. You know, you want to impress, you want to show that, yeah, I can replicate what I'm doing, and it's it can always be very very. And the thing about uh, those kind of things is, you don't want to be a villas boss. Hmm. So you don't want to be too tough on those players, and no, then they stage a mutiny. You can't be a Villas Boas at PSG, 
and that's you, the thing you, you they want those guys there you can't, exactly. you can't, you so, can't chase so them what, so what exactly is Paul Pochettino going to do you, you can't be a Villas well as PSG so, is, it, is it Neymar you want to push away or Messi or Mbappe, or, or Mbappe? you don't understand so it, it is so difficult and if you want to enforce your your style of play on them once they are uncomfortable you're one call away yeah. Yeah. from the sack yeah. I mean Neymar picks up the phone and tells Nasirul Kelafi. It doesn't even. Okay. He, he has. <laughs> a, you trust me. I'm, I am hundred percent sure. Yeah, Neymar has a direct line to Nasirul Kelafi. Yeah, true. Because whether you like it or not, there are players who go above their sporting directors. Yeah. So they can they can pick. I mean, when when the issue with uh, Chelsea was going on at Villas Boas, according to reports, this guy is actually phoned Abramovich. Yeah, I, I understand. When the issue with Mourinho, when the issue with Mourinho was happening in fourteen fifteen, those guys actually phoned up Roman Abramovich. So it's not, it's not, it's not out of. They're not going to say, who do we speak to? Let's speak to Bruce Bock or mm. let's speak to Marina Granovskaya. Nah. No, 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 they are going to the guy who's actually on the fire. They have him on speed dial. So that's that's the thing. So what what exactly do those managers do? I mean, do you say, okay, I want to please these guys and risk ruining your own reputation mm. and having a run of bad games where it's very very clear you're not having any tactical impute, or do you enforce your tactical impute and then you stress these guys so much? But, but I, I think way. Pochettino has been doing that low-key. He's not been doing it with his chest. And I feel he might just boomerang at some point. Okay, all of the resting of Messi. Yeah, removing Messi mid-day. You get And, you know, all these things have been working. He just removed Messi and probably bring in a certain under Herrera and boom, everything changes. Everything just goes up, yeah. 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 So, so it, the funny thing is, I remember the game, I think it was against Lyon. Where they were losing one nil, and then he took off Messi, and Messi's face was crunched up together. I was like angry, like why, why? Like, you understand? So yeah, it's, it's like yeah. it's, it's glitching, and, yeah. and he wants to just explode, but you know he wants to still stay calm. And then the television cameras just captured everything, yeah. and there's this Pochettino trying to shake Messi, and Messi, Messi looking at me like, what exactly did you good. just do? Like you're looking for a goal, and you're removing, you're removing <laughs> me. You know, so, so it's it's always it's always very 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 difficult for those kind of managers. And like I said earlier, if it's someone like Zidane, I mean, when Zidane was managing Real Madrid, he was almost always resting Ronaldo. Hmm. Before a big Champions League game, he would rest Ronaldo. There were times in games where he would just bring off Ronaldo, probably like three 0 And yeah, granted, the situation or circumstances were different, but Zidane had a stronger force of personality because of what he has done as a player. Yeah, because. Players of this generation literally grew up idolizing, idolizing Zizou. Yeah. So he can tell you, you're not doing this thing right. And you're like, I mean, Zidane has won Ballon d'Or. He has won the World Cup. And, he has won and, the Champions and, and, and League. And that has to do with, even if you didn't do that as a player, you should be doing that as, as a, manager. a manager. Before you be manage them. Yes. So that was the thing with Pochettino. Like, he has literally never won anything. Yeah. He didn't have exactly the most spectacular career. And you're telling me what to do. That was one of the, like I said earlier, that was one of the issues Ronaldo had with Benitez because Benitez, who'd never played at the professional level, was giving Ronaldo tips on how to score free kicks. <laughs> Ronaldo reportedly told him, he told, because Benitez told one of his assistants to go tell Ronaldo, like, tomorrow we'll have a session on how you score free, free kicks. kicks. And Ronaldo, Ronaldo reportedly told the assistant that. Tell Benitez I'll give him a DVD <laughs> of all of my goals. You understand? All my so, freaking goals. All of my goals. He wasn't even freaking all of my goals. 
still on, still on that. Count the free kicks and come back to tell me you want to explain how I score free kicks to me. So, but if it was someone like, say, Izizu telling him, this is what you do. Yeah. You know, he's like, yeah, Zizou has played being at the level. Been there, exactly, been there, done that. He knows how to handle these things. Yeah. But he Benitez, like, he Benitez, I mean, Benitez, come on. And Benitez, come on. <laughs> like, like, you understand? So, it's it's always very, very difficult for those managers. And that's why, like I said, managers like Mourinho, who never played at the highest of levels, but due to they the force the of their personality, yeah. they're able to get that success, get players alongside. And that's also one thing that is... I think very very important in this day and age, you know, man management because it's not just enough. I mean, we saw all of the videos of Ralph Rangnick turning yeah, off the lights yeah. and you know <laughs> trying to motivate the players and all of that. You know, it's not just enough to you know be be a, a super tactician. You know, the man manager, uh, man management aspect also uh, needs to come in because it will get to the point where the the players themselves are dead on their feet. And they can literally no longer run. They can no longer move. But because they know they are doing it not just for themselves, but for that manager who has been inspiring yeah, them all yeah, through, yeah. they want to even go through walls yeah. uh, for those kind of managers. So that's also another thing where I feel like for some of these managers, especially those managers who they've not really won at the highest of levels and this is like their first big job. And honestly, that was why I feel like for Julian Agelsmann, Bayern Munich was like the perfect job. Because he's not only German, but it's it's seen he's as him taking that next step. Yeah. And if, he's been pushing Bayern too for yeah. So the, the managers, the yeah. players in in Bayern squad respect him. That okay, this guy knows what he's doing. And yeah, we might laugh about it all along and talk about the fact that yeah, it's Bayern. That's what they do. But the fact that he, he even went with a player or two yeah. from the Leipzig, Leipzig squad, you know, players who he feel like they he would help or they would help him. Uh, like acclimatize with the rest of the squad, yeah. and that's also one thing that Jose Mourinho used to almost always Sorry do. Sorry too. You know, when he's going to, <laughs> yeah, you know, when he's going to a club, used to drag MPFL coaches for doing, for doing that. I mean, these, yeah. these are things yeah. that these are things that actually help managers, especially yeah. when it's a new club. Yeah. you know, you're not, you don't really have that. You know, that they have their You know, everywhere. you go, you go with, with. I mean, wherever Mourinho went, he was almost always going with Ricardo Carvalho. I mean, he was he coach Carvalho at. Chelsea, he coached him at Porto, he coached him at Real Madrid, you know, so these are things that you know, it's, it almost always happens and like I said, for, for Mauricio Pochettino let's hope that he's able to, t- to turn the ship around and for a manager like Antonio Conte January will really start to show where exactly he should be we're having this uh, discussion, I think it was with Agbenga on, on Thursday and we're talking about how exactly would would we count a uh, 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 the top four now in the Premier League because no you know four. right now they we can see we can see we can see the, <laughs> the lower the big teams go the bigger the more the more yeah. the top expands yeah, yeah. You know, so. it used to be the top four expanded to <laughs> the, the top six, six. Yeah, uh, now we are hearing top <laughs> ten or something so the, the, the thing about it is that for for someone like Antonio Conte if you are the manager you claim you are if you're the manager your fans claim you are if you're the manager Spurs think you are, then you should be finishing in the top four with Spurs, because that was the benchmark for Spurs for so long, for yeah. three, four, five yeah. years with, yeah. with, with, with Pochettino. Where you know, even for Jose Mourinho finishing in the Europa League places was seen as a disaster. Yeah. You know, Spurs were languishing in sixth or seventh. I can't exactly remember where they were when they when they when they fired Pochettino. So these are things that 
for for a manager like Antonio Conte, you claim to be bigger than Spurs, and then you're given the job. Okay, you're bigger than us. Take us to the level you are, and then you're finishing the Europa League with us. I mean, are we dragging you down now? <laughs> you know. So these are things that is always quite exciting. All right, quick one. Let's come back to Nigeria before we talk more about happenings in Europe. Well, Victor Simen has been ruled out of the Afcon. Not only a blow to the Super Eagles of Nigeria but a blow to Napoli's title hopes. I mean, they've been doing quite well this season and Victor Osman has been aiding that cause. Nine goals in 14 games and even for Nigeria to very, very impressive stats and not only about the stats, everything it brings to the table, I I don't know, it would be a sort of indictment on the captain of the team if I say Victor Osman brings leadership to that team. But it is what it is, actually. I mean, he has a way of carrying the team on his back when they are sort of down or sort of clueless at some point. Now, before we talk about Napoli, let's talk about Nigeria. Heading into Afghan in Cameroon without Victor Simen. Has that changed anything? Honestly, I think it has because I think Victor Simen was really... Nigeria's best, not only ball career, but someone who you could always look up to and expect his pack. And talking about leading the team when they're going through dull moments, that's one of the reasons why attackers often get more of, more of the gold. Yeah. Because when all the chips are down, I mean, if it ends goal, of magic. I mean, if it's ending goalless, attacker comes up, has a moment of magic, pops up with the goal. You know, I mean, it's always revered. I mean, we know how exactly how Simen is revered in Naples right now. So it's it's very, very disastrous for Nigeria because who exactly is coming in? And the players who could really have been groomed for this moment, you know, the likes of Emmanuel Dennis, the likes mm. of Taiwa Wuni, they've been, they've been ignored yeah. time and again. Despite the Taiwa Wuni especially. Despite the fact that they've actually been doing really well for themselves yeah. in, in Europe. So the thing about the Nigerian national team now is who exactly are we turning to? Because if you want to, if you want to suddenly bring those guys in from the cold, it's like starting from the beginning. Exactly. How exactly are they going to gel with their teammates? How exactly are they going to acclimatize? It's not going to. They're not going to be coming in, in during the friendlies. It's going to be coming in during a tournament, and you know, tournament is to win or go home. So it's going to be really difficult to say, okay, let's try new things. Let's try new tactics. Let's try. Okay, how do you fit in here? This is where I like to get the ball. This is where he likes to get the ball. So it's always very very difficult. Now that we've lost to Simen, what exactly is the coaching idea? It's it's going to be very difficult. And it's Honestly, not like it's not like we even have the coach going forward too. So that, that's that's a, that's another thing, you know. It's that's that's why I, I always wonder why teams appoint coaches, you know, on the eve of a major tournament. It's it's, it's it throws a lot of things into chaos. It it makes the, the players themselves. Less unsure about their roles, you know, it makes the players themselves less unsure of what exactly it is they'll be doing going forward. And not not least in this day and age where everything just seems so streamlined and managers just have different ideas. You know, gone are those days when uh, national teams used to have their ideas, you know, where you're just so 100% sure that the Italians would counter-attack and the Spaniards would possess you and pass yes. you to death and yes. the Germans are just this efficient machine. Working Nowadays, from you know... The 
<laughs> start of the game to, to the, to the end of the game, you know. Yeah. But nowadays, you know, it's more or less like it's the managers themselves who have to come in and set the tone. Managers have to come in and say, okay, this is how I want to play. Managers can say, you, you could be with a team today and then the manager is counter-attacking and the next manager that comes in is position-based. The next manager that comes in is a mixture of the two. So yeah. it's it's always very, very difficult and that's why I said changing the manager on the eve of the tournament, we we'll to see how that eventually pans out but it's not exactly the, the saviest of ideas. And for Victor Osimhen, what he brings to the national team, like I said, is not something that can be easily replaced. But if the manager wants to get the best from the squad, I mean, the easy thing to do is just get in players who have similar characteristics mm. to Victor Osimhen. Yeah. And those are the players I called. I mean, but they have been ignored for too long. Mm. What exactly are the odds that one of them or both of them is going to be called? Or what exactly are the chances that we will not go back again to call a retiree and say well it's looking like a master stroke already now because of the injury to Victor Simen having to bring Odion Igalu back to the fold looks like a master stroke already uh, from the coach although we don't know if the coach coming or we don't even know if the coach has been sacked already <laughs> if the coach coming would buy the idea of having Odion Igalu in the team yeah I'm talking about the coach coming <laughs> having an idea of who exactly he wants to have in the team I mean with all the things we've been hearing about in a row and how the NFL has been meddling in his uh, team selection yeah. I mean you know we heard a lot of the stories about Hiana Cho the about Awazi the, yeah. the issues I mean yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so much and you know it undermines the personality of the coach yeah. it undermines the, the strength of the coach you know when the coach is telling you you're not going to be playing in my squad but other and the, the higher-ups are telling the coach, no, 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 he plays, you know. I mean, just resign, you understand? And because these coaches know that they want to have something to prove, like, in they won't, spite they won't get the respect of, you, of the players of again. Yeah, of course, I mean... The players will still do it again regardless, and again you know. when they know they, they have the backing of the high and mighty who would say, okay, walk straight into the starting eleven. So that, that that's, that's the issues because there is, like I said, how exactly... Are we sure that these players, I mean the Emmanuel Dennis's, the Ataiwa Wonies, how exactly are we sure that the reasons why they are not being included is because the higher up doesn't want them in? Or that the higher up prefers someone else over them? I mean I mean I mean Terry Murphy has been has been doing well for himself yeah. over there and then we're bringing back an Odioni Gallo. I mean if we would who, bring back a player it is not in that centre forward position. I mean, not exactly. If it would it's bring a back we a player so because we, we have a lot of options there already. Paul Onwachi is not even getting regular time. playing time I mean, uh, in the Super Eagles. But you feel the best position where you, well the, the coach came out to say he's not bringing him because we lack goals, but because uh, we need leadership. And then I ask. What exactly is Hamed Musa doing in that team? What, what exactly are I feel that's the only reason why we are we still call calling Hamed Musa. Musa. I feel Hamed Musa still in the team is majorly not for footballing reasons per se. It's for the other reasons, the leadership and what have you. So I, I really don't get it when the managers say things like this and it makes you question his ability time and again when he makes a rash decision like this. Like, like I said, you know, at, at times, it might just be the, the manager excusing the higher-ups, not wanting to expose them, you know, not wanting to wash or spread the dirty linen. Well, he'd be at the receiving end at the end of the day. Yes, that's the thing. You know, it's, it's very similar to what managers do when their president or the, the board sells a player 
and then the manager has to front like he was the one who actually didn't want the player and he has to take all of the blame and shoulder the responsibility despite the fact that he knew fully well that he was the board. I mean, this happened in 2013 when Real Madrid had to sell Ozil because they wanted to bring in Bill and Ancelotti had to front up and say, yeah, Ozil is a good player, yeah, but I mean, if you have a team area, there's really no reason why you need an Ozil and all of this stuff, you know. It was very, very clear that it was the board that wanted Ozil out. Hmm. They wanted to sell Ozil, bring on a Gareth Bill and Ancelotti had to front up for them that's why the fact that it made him look bad yeah but you know it's something he felt yeah, he it has comes to with do. the territory I mean, it comes with the territory you know he has to take one for the team so I mean that's why they're in it together and that's also the things that managers especially national team managers that's what they do you know there are times when there are some decisions that are taken above their heads but they have to show they are in control and they have to portray this air of superiority or mm-hmm. this air of confidence over what they're doing and they have to explain away decisions that but were made. we both know that the issue of Igalo coming back to the national team is not Ganetra's decision. decision. Yeah. Exactly. And even some very uh, funny decisions that have been taken in recent times, bringing Salisu Yusuf back, never been his making, but he has to just front like... Yeah, he, like he's the one who is yeah. actually making the decisions. So l- let's talk about the qualification for the World Cup. It is getting very interesting. I was having a conversation with some some of my friends uh, when we saw that draw and they were saying either of Italy or Portugal will not be at the World Cup. And I told them with what uh, Italy and Portugal are playing, who says both of them will even face off at the end of the day? <laughs> <laughs> Who says they would they would even get to that stage where they face off? But I think a lot of football fans would even prefer that to seeing probably Italy eliminating Portugal. Uh, Portugal or Portugal eliminating Italy. Maybe one of them should not even get there at all. So, so that the final, uh, yeah. so that it would just be a walk in the park. But it, it's really getting very funny for 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 the World Cup qualifiers. I mean, for Africa, we're still complaining that. How do you work so hard, get or uh, emerge top of your group, but you still have to play uh, the playoffs again? And we're even hearing now that the playoffs is one-legged, or it might be a, a one-legged affair at the end of the day. So it gets really tedious for teams, and it's not like the African teams will get there and go all the way to the and semi-final. Do exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so it, it's getting so tedious. And yet we are still not producing the best legs to represent us. This is what's happening to uh, in Europe too. With because the guys that qualified for uh, the normal qualification, I mean from the group stage now, I'm not even sure. Not all of them are the best legs to represent Europe. I mean, look at the guys that qualified from Portugal's group too. Yeah, Serbia. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the funny thing about um, most of these teams. You know, it's it's the long haul. So it's not exactly who is the best team, but who has been the best team over the course of, of that long haul. And that's where uh, Serbia were better than Portugal. I mean, it boiled down to that final game. And I feel where Portugal made a mistake was that they went in looking for a draw. They didn't go all out looking for a win. I mean, if it was clearly... Because it's, it was obviously winner-takes-all. But for Portugal, they could afford to draw. And so that was why they were kind of convenient, you know, playing the draw, having everything go the way it was going. Because they knew, I mean, even if it ends in a draw, we're still going to progress. But... That was the game. They should have been more consistent. If it was a winner takes all, they would have probably had a lot more impact, with a lot more energy, you know, going into that one. But then uh, that happened. I'm talking about Africa. I mean, when everything is said and done, the five teams that are going to represent Africa at the World Cup, 
they're probably still going to get there and by the time round of systems are done they would all yeah. probably be back home yeah so and do, it's not like the funny thing about it is that it's not like those who did not go for the world cup would have actually done any better yeah so that's that's the the, the rather sad story about africa because and at times when people talk about the fact that i mean africa has 54 member nations yeah how do we produce just five teams going to the world cup and i'm like even if we had 10 teams and they they will they'll, 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 they'll put us <laughs> down to the fact that that's why africa has not won the world the cup world. since because okay we have less representation at the world cup it's not it's not by less representation now i mean when you have all of the teams all of the 54 member nations they all started with the same equal chance yeah to make the world cup so if you could not prove that you were better than the team that went ahead of you what are the chances that you will do better <laughs> when you actually get to, to, <laughs> to that World Cup? I mean, yeah. there are times you look at some groups during the World Cups and it, it saddens my heart, but it's the truth. I mean, we see some teams that are like, oh, three points. You yeah. know, when you see uh, a, a team that has Germany, France, and let's say, no, Germany and France are probably not the same group because they're all going to be in Port 1. Bosnia, you know, let's say, let's say a team like, yeah, Bosnia, Peru, in the same group with France or in yeah. the same group with Germany. You're already, you're already, you're already getting off, three points, yeah. three points, yeah. you know. So that whether we like it or not, these teams are going to see before the nations. So it has to be those teams themselves proving that we actually have good quality. I mean, throw back to 1994 when the Nigerians had a very, very strong side and we really, really put the feet in, in the, into the Italians before those little goals from uh, Roberto Baggio changed the tie. And look at uh, 1998 when we were in the same group and then what was looking like yeah these nigerians could actually yeah. do something so yeah. we actually had a very very strong side i mean look at uh, the senegalese in 19 in 2002 you know when they got to the the quarterfinals yeah. look at the Ghanaians in 2010 you know when, <laughs> when they got to the Suarez. quarterfinals and yeah. they were looking like yeah. they would be the first african nation to make the uh, the semi-finals before uh, suarez and then Guyan missing uh, that last penalty so it's not exactly going to be very easy but the truth is that if you're a side it's just like uh, league, uh, just like Champions League, for instance, some leagues produce four teams. Uh, some leagues produce one. one yeah. Some leagues produce some two. Some leagues, the champions. Will some leagues, to, yeah, to, to play, play the, the playoffs. I mean, the, look at Ajax, the <laughs> Dutch champions. Yeah, you know, they, they go to Rangers the semi-finals. To Rangers, the the Scottish champions. Scottish champions. I mean, look at the funny thing about Ajax was that Ajax got to the semi-finals of the Champions League. They won the league. They won their cup. And they still play. And they still play the playoffs. Yeah. You know, to get to get to the Champions League, so it's not it's not because oh, uh, this team is being prejudiced against, or this continent is being prejudiced against, or this league is being prejudiced against. But what exactly is their history? So what exactly do they do when they get to the Champions League? So imagine if the way Ajax got to the semi-finals, the very next season, the next Dutch team also got to the semi-finals. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be like, oh, there's actually good quality coming out of the Netherlands. Yeah. Probably make them two teams. Yeah. And if both teams get to the semi-finals, I mean, it's going to be like, oh, let's actually watch more I mean, of them. Before before it used to be the fourth team in England playing, playing the qualifiers. Yeah, yeah, but these days... All it, four just yeah, go straight to the group all, stages. All four straight to the group stages. And let's go back to talking about managers. Before we close, let's talk about... Uh, the guy at uh, the Wanda Metropolitano Stadium, Diego Simeone, who looks like he's having a stinker of a season right now. And uh, what Man United fans should be expecting uh, from Rangnick. And like I've always said, if he's that good, like Man United fans are making us believe, why exactly is he on song? Why exactly are we not hearing his name? Yeah, his yeah. name. It's just Loki. I mean, it's. 
reduced Godfather, himself. <laughs> he's reduced himself to doing sporting director. Why exactly is, is he not a manager? Because someone was actually dragging my United fans that okay, if people don't even see manager to appoint the game, you are going to appoint someone else's sporting director. <laughs> someone else's sporting director as a manager, but it is what it is. Let's talk. About, I mean, they, they they got a couple of players in, and it was looking like okay, they should be able to maintain that level they had last season but it was like everything that happened last season was based on Suarez trying to prove his old employers wrong and he has simply dropped the season not up there again and for Atletico de Madrid to they are not doing well both in the league and even in the Champions League, bottom of their group right now, and it is looking really gloomy ahead of uh, the final round of fixtures for the Champions League. What exactly is wrong? And one thing is certain I- I'm not sure the board at Atletico Madrid would want to even let him go if he's not interested in leaving the club. Yeah, that's the thing about uh, Diego Simeone. You know, there's always the fear of not staying for too long, and it feels like he has stayed. It felt like he had stayed for too long. And then he added Suarez last season, and then they won the league, you know. And then this season he added uh, Antoine Griezmann, and it was looking like they could actually do something. And for those who actually have uh, really not been following, the truth is that uh, Antoine Griezmann was banned for the last two Champions League games, so they really, really lacked that creative spark up front. The previous Champions League games against Liverpool, he scored a brace, took them from 2-0 down to 2-2 before he got red carded and then Salah scored uh, the penalty to give Liverpool the 3-2 win. The game before that, he also scored against AC Milan, I think, to give them the victory in that one. Also against Porto, he was also quite in flinch and he'll be back for the last group stage game against Porto and if they win that game and Liverpool defeat AC Milan, Atletico Madrid will still qualify. But then, whether or not they would actually do something in the round of 16s is uh, a different case entirely. I mean, going on those days when Atletico Madrid used to be a very feared side in Europe and that's because the players have now changed and the level of player at Atletico Madrid, that's why they've actually added more players, it has changed. So, the core of the players who formed that squad hmm. that picked when they won the title in 2013-14 and got to the Champions League semi-final and got to the Champions League final and also got to the Champions League final in 2016 you know, the core of that squad has left. So, the Juan Franz, the Philippe Luiz, the Gabi, you know, those guys who were the benchmark for the Atletico Madrid style are no longer there. So, it's it's now difficult for Simeone to, you know, has to, you know, rise like a phoenix, you know, yeah. try all over again. And the thing about Simeone well, it is... looks like someone that's always been striving over the years. So, maybe it's playing style making that's, him look... That's the, plain, that's, that's the playing style. And I feel like if... If this season, once this season ends, if he's still continuing Atletico Madrid, from next season we'll probably start to see a different Atletico Madrid because mm. this is something that happens with managers who stay for long terms. You know, when a cycle has ended and you're trying to bridge cycles immediately, there's always going to be a gap. So there's always going to be that point where the team is not performing as well, where the team are not getting to the level that the previous side used to get to. So there's always going to be that bridge. And then they would continue. I mean, even uh, the great Alex Ferguson suffered this several times at Real Madrid, uh, Man United when, you know, trying to rebuild the squad. I mean, for three straight seasons, they were really not doing anything, you know, finishing fourth, getting knocked out in the round of 16, in the quarterfinals of Champions League, you know, not winning, uh, not winning things. But then he 
he had a new set of guys, you know, he had the Rooney's, the Ronaldo's, the Tevez, the Vidic, the Evra's, and then he built another squad. And then when the squad, when that squad was starting to decline, you know, you just add one player here, one player there. And by the time it was until he left, that the real nature of that squad was actually made known. That this squad is actually like really, really nothing. It was really, really empty. You know, it's just the same thing with Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham under Pochettino peaked. Yeah. And then he was just, you know, trying to, you know, get back to where they used to be. But it was harder with every season. And it was until he left that it now became obvious, like, oh, they're actually a very, very empty shell. I mean, just like we started the show, Anthony Conte came out to say, yeah. like, this team is actually, <laughs> this is actually harder than I thought to. Shave people will not come and take your meal. Shave you can't pass You understand? So, <laughs> so, so it, it, it's actually very, very difficult to actually bridge, to bridge, to bridge that gap. And that's one thing I feel like Simeone is trying to do against all odds, you know, adding Suarez, adding Griezmann, just to ensure that the, the handing over process is yeah. not really uh, that strenuous or that's, you know, it's, it's not that very deep when it comes to the, the, the depth they have to fall before uh, they rise again. I mean, they have a slew of excellent, talented young players already at Let's Go Madrid in, in a lot of positions, really. And, you know, with time, they'll start to get better. And... The one thing they've still not uh, sorted, if, if the defense has not really been at the level it should mm. be. It's, mm. That was always Simeone's selling point. And yeah, this is yeah. It. you know, I, I was saying it's, it like really they just know how to how struggle to and keep yeah. results. And that has not really been them. Even last season, Even last season when they won, won the league, yeah, yeah, it was really, really bad. It, it was them. them just managing to outscore their opponent. I mean, if you score three, they would score, score four. four. Mm. So that was what they did last season. They were leaking the goals and it was so obvious. And I feel if Simeone is able to block that, maybe in January, they'll still be able to uh, get something out of this season. Yeah, the season is not over yet. I mean, we're still in November, still have up until May. So it's still a, a long way to go. I mean, I think only 14 league games have been played. Yeah, you'd say that's quite a lot, but then we still have about 24 or 25 to go. Depends on the number of games that have been played in the particular league. So for Simeone, he has to ensure that the players are buying into his ideas as he's grooming them. And talking about our Frank and on song managers, I mean, it's just like Mauricio Sarri. Mauricio Sarri worked in the backwaters of Italian football for about 15 years. Yeah. It was until he got the Napoli job in 20... And he pushed for the Scudetto. 15, 16. And then he, he refurbished Higuain. And then he brought this beast out of Higuain. And then Higuain scored 36 uh, league goals. And everyone was like, what exactly is happening uh, right there at the Patino Pie? And then he has been very, very impressive. And then that got him the Chelsea job. I mean, we all know the number of jokes yeah. that were on. Yeah. Like, he has been coaching for 40-something years. And then he has never won anything. anything yeah. you know. And then he got to Chelsea. He won the Europa League. And then the Chelsea g- job gave him the, the Juventus yeah. job. And for Ralph Rangnick... Like we're saying before we started recording, Ralph has never been the manager that that was lucky enough to get handed on the major sides. But when you look at what he has done outside of the prism of trophies, because I've never really been the <laughs> biggest trophy fan, especially when it comes to sides that really should not be winning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, 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 like Man United should always be winning. Trophies, it's just for ego. You know, Ole said but, it's just for ego. Which. No, no, Pochettino, Pochettino. Only said it too. Only said it's just, just for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's just where he goes. You know, so, it's so nothing, for, it's for, for Ralph Rangnick, when he was at Offenheim, Offenheim were in the third division. I mean, look at Julian Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann has never won a trophy, but took, but he's revered. And the reason, one of the reasons why he's revered is because I mean, we are now in the modern day. You know, so it's more statistics. You know, managers now get handed jobs a lot quicker. So it's not you don't have to be a quote unquote big name manager. You don't have to have won something. You know, you just have exciting style of football, yeah. and then top sides will find you. They will hire you. You know. Ralph Rangnick, when he started with Offenheim, Offenheim were in the third tier. He took them to the second tier. He took them to uh, the, the Bundesliga own. And they were still doing things, you know, punching relatively above uh, their weight. I mean, look at Jürgen Klopp's time at Mainz. Throughout the time he was in Mainz, he didn't win anything. Other than winning the Bundesliga to bringing them back to the Bundesliga. Yeah. Thomas Tuchel's time at Mainz, he didn't win anything. I mean, he got to Dortmund and he won just one. Uh, trophy, what which was the DFB Pokal, he went to PSG, he won the league, he won the cup, you know. So it was when he got to PSG, he started adding trophies to his CV. He got to Chelsea and now has won the Champions League and now he's revered. But for our Frank Nick, he was never that manager. But then when you look at what he did, also with and the thing about Ralph is that he's not just a manager; he has the eye for talent. So he's not just a manager who has a fancy style of play, but he has yeah. also been helping with the scouting. When he was the manager of uh, Red Bull, that's the yeah. Red Bull team yeah. now. So when they had Salzburg and then Leipzig, and then they had, I think, New York Red Bull. Red, so yeah. he was able to get players. I think I was listening to one of his interviews recently, and he was like, the maximum they had ever sold a player for was 6 million euros, Saido Janko. And he was like, it's not just enough to play good football. We are inside in Austria. How exactly do we make money? Make money. How exactly do we punch above our weight by selling players for good money? And then almost every year, I mean, Red Bull Salzburg sells players yeah, yeah. well into double figures. Yeah. I mean, they have a new bride now. Yeah, you know, Karim Adeyemi. Yeah. So that's one thing that has now become ingrained in the Red Bull philosophy. And that's one thing that you know they were talked about. Oh, he didn't take the Chelsea interim job. Why is he taking the interim job at Man United now? But it was overlooked at Everton, overlooked at uh, even the yeah, initially at Man U before they appointed Louis Van Gaal to understand the audition for that job too. So that's the thing. So if if uh, back then, obviously 2014, statistics had not really started playing this much of a role, you know, your style of play had not really yeah. started playing this much of a role. You know, back then it was, what exactly are you doing? People really didn't care whether or not you were using Gegen pressing. It was up until about 15, 16, you know, when Klopp and Pep started to go head to head and then it was this Gegen pressing versus Tiki Taka and then Klopp also started to change his style, Pep started to change his style and all of that. So I think for a manager like Ralph Rangnick, it's going to be interesting, like very, very interesting to see what he does with United until the end of the season but what is exactly more interesting for me is how exactly he's able to build a style of play for Man United in the years when he becomes the consultant because mm. that's the reason why he took the job he and has the, the I, I, I hope that doesn't even cause conflict to between who becomes the manager then because as a sporting director I, I'm not sure you'd really have a say like that I, I think he would I think Ralph Rangnick would have a say in who becomes the manager. Unless Man United's board 
want to man United, but <laughs> you understand, you know, yeah, just yeah, overrule yeah, him and do whatever it yeah, is they want to actually yeah, do. And that's what they've been doing, and that's why they've been spending a lot of money in recent times. I mean, they just feel the money is there. Okay, the manager doesn't even want this guy, but we want him. Let's go all out for him. Yeah, quickly before we wrap up, let's talk about Formula One. If Lewis Hamilton were to be the one topping the table right now, I, I'm not sure we'd be talking about maybe we don't know who will become the champion at the end of the day but it's max verstappen and i'm sure he has not been under this kind of pressure in his life <laughs> yeah which is actually the truth yeah because uh, there was this joke in the paddock before the qatar grand prix where they were like three races to go or would you rather have max verstappen's 14 point lead or lewis hamilton's engine you know <laughs> and and there were more people picking Lewis Hamilton and his engine over Verstappen's 14 point lead because mm. they were so sure that Lewis would obliterate that yeah. 14 points with the kind of engine he had yeah. you know and it's also interesting that the engine that the Mercedes went to Brazil with which went from 25th over I mean over the aggregate of all yeah. of the penalties he took yeah. from 25th to 1st was not even what they used in Qatar so the last two races, which is a high-speed circuit in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi, that's what they are going to use the engine from Brazil. So they want to just go flat out these last two races. And if Lewis wins in Saudi Arabia and gets the fastest point and gets the lap of, and gets the points point for, for fastest, fastest lap, yeah. they will be level heading into Abu Dhabi. Man, it's going to be it's going to be a bonkers yeah, season because it's, it's, it's like twenty sixteen all over again. Everybody's just waiting. Whether that is going to happen, how exactly will it happen? You know, it's it's really really exciting, and this is the first, like I said, this is the first time since 2016 that we've had a Formula One race, Formula One season, compete this competitive from start to start finish. to finish. All right, that's about it for the 13th episode. I've, I've really enjoyed this, and uh, I'm sure I you two did uh, the first uh, physical episode. I maybe we should put it at the title <laughs> for this episode. Thanks so much uh, for taking your time to listen to this episode, and uh, thank you, Marshall, as always, uh, for dissecting all of uh, the talking points on the podcast yeah and like i always say to our darling listeners i hope you enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoy talking about it. all right so we're returning again next time to give you another brand new episode of the show until then my name is ola Olua. do enjoy yourself <laughs>